0: Welcome back to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. Uh, I am here with uh, my good friend Vince Kavanaugh. Vince is a uh, the vice president of sales, senior vice president of sales for Four Corners Aviation. He has been a leader in jet charter for a long time. Vince is absolute institution in the in the arena. We're here to talk about aircraft charter, the industry. The opportunities and uh, and all the good things. So, hey Vince, thanks for coming on and uh, thanks for being here.
1: Thanks Craig, I appreciate it. You know, to come on your podcast is a is a big thing for for me in this industry. So, I thank you.
0: That's great. So, let's talk about you a little bit. You've been around. You've been around for a little while.
1: I have. I did. Um, I, before I got involved with general aviation, I was in motorsport for twelve years and luckily fell into NetJets Europe with Richard Santuli heading the front then in the tail in of two thousand and four. I got involved with marketing, the marketing side for Ireland in a, in a very big way when it launched, took on Ireland as my destiny. Uh, they had single, well, single f- single numbers for memberships. And before the Celtic Target came to town, I took it to 96 clients in Ireland alone and the Caribbean because ironically a lot of my property development guys in Ireland, especially, were involved in the Caribbean. So it made sense for me to me. There were both territories. Um, so that was a lot of fun. There was a great time there. Uh, the change came when I moved from there to VistaJet. In the very early days of Thomas Ford, starting VistaJet. Stayed with them for a little over five years. Had a lot of fun there also. Territory-wise, it was anything global, which is great. And then an opportunity came around to move to AirPartner to run their private jet card team, build their team and grow their platform for the jet card sales. Uh, They were listed on the London Stock Exchange at the time. Uh, We grew it very successfully. I was with them for just under nine years. And then I had a great opportunity. First, introduced me by you, Craig. Uh, to meet with Brian Proctor over at Mente Group and Four Corners Aviation. Uh, and then I think in a few days meeting of with Brian, getting up to their offices in Frisco and seeing Brian Person, Michael Rogers, and some of the team, I think within a matter of days we had a contract signed and off we went.
0: That's awesome. Incredible background. You've seen, you know, you've seen the the the, the industry booms, you've seen a little bit of the busts, you've seen everything in between. COVID was an interesting time, a lot of demand not enough supply where are we at right now where are we at where are we at as far as the industry i mean uh, yeah i'm hearing a lot of uh, business is great business ain't so great business is balancing how do you see us now
1: you know it's funny i had a call um a team's meeting early in the week with a great friend of mine who runs a family office and in part of the conversation i quickly learned which is going to seem obvious to you that he's had more things land on his desk recently about new opportunities, new programs, new solutions than he's had in a long time. So I think what we've found on this side of the net of the, of the industry, you know, watching some of the mergers, some of the acquisitions, and sadly, some people go out of business, uh, has been one thing. So there's been some sort of consolidation of providers, solution providers. But to the other receiving end, to the audience, they're actually probably receiving more now insofar as solutions than they have in the past. Um, so I don't think what they're seeing from our side is anything but more opportunity for them, more offers, which makes the game a little bit harder from our side because it's more competitive, but then that's just part of the game. But I do think supply has definitely eased off, which has made it better for us. And, you know, that famous phrase of, I guess, charter coming off its COVID heights, it has to happen. You know, from what we went through, through that pandemic period, it had to happen. So I think what's been offered out there now just makes it more competitive for us. And the click to really keep your clients and to bring new clients on board is—I've always felt—is a relationship. And in that relationship, the biggest one that stands out is trust more than anything else. And solution's have obviously got to work for them. It's got to suit their flying profile. It's got to suit their needs. And um, but they've got to feel trust. And I do feel it's a lot of it based around relationships. Technology and IT is always is always going to play a huge part of our world, and it matters a lot. But I think the core. To significant ongoing business and growing that existing business is through the personal relationship you have with the individual or the corporate entity. Uh, that's what's matters for us, and that's what I, you know, when I see my colleagues and counterparts as competitors in the industry, it's that loyalty. Having that loyalty has kept their business and allowed the business to grow.
0: Yeah, I, you know, look. The one thing I noticed during COVID was, you know, the, the 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 demand got so hot that all of a sudden you started seeing a lot of new players come on the market. Small, you know, 135 operators with five, six jets, you know, a lot of wholesale. And it's like, wow, where did these guys come from? It started to get a little bit, I mean, I don't know if you guys thought or thought the same thing. But, you know, the you've got this bifurcation of the well-established players, you know, great reputations. And all of a sudden, you had a lot of Johnny Come lately t- coming to the market. And you're like, wow, can they actually survive? Or is it just a, a little bit of a sign of the times? And then, obviously, you know, Wheels Up started buying up. Delta private jets, thank you. Mountain aviation, yeah. things of the sort. So a lot of crazy things happening. Are you seeing some stability there now?
1: Um, I think as an industry, definitely. You know, those acquisitions that happened and any merger, you know, are normally only done on their, you know, on the seller's terms. You know, they sold out because they wanted to sell out. It hasn't been a lot of, you know, one man band shops coming to the marketplace to try and take a piece of this booming marketplace, which they saw. Yes, but I think that's always been there. I just think media now, social media especially, can advertise it more. So you just become aware of it more. So I don't think that's been a factor. It hasn't really affected the business that much. I think from my background, especially from my NetJets days, and, and VistaJet insofar as where they own a floating fleet, you had that safety and security on the sales side of, of having that resource, the floating fleet and crew. That was massive. Mm-hmm. Through those periods, and you probably remember yourself from FlexJet days, charter was spoken of, but it wasn't spoken of in a detailed ways anywhere near as good as being owned by aircraft. In other words, a provider that's got their fleet and crew is different to a charter. And so that, it, that audience was almost half educated that listen, charter isn't like owning fleets, so keep a little bit away from charter. I think what the COVID period has done for us in that pandemic alone has allowed the audience to be educated around, well, in fact, the charter can be through the right resources, absolutely as A, reliable, B is safe, um, and see, perhaps call it dynamic pricing, but can be in some ways more competitive than you've been involved in a fixed solution where you're bound to the terms of, you know, a great provider saying to you, well, that's all great, but Mr. Picking, you must fire hours at this period of time. And if you don't, X, Y, and Z is going to happen. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, they're the small piece of the contract in the way in that you're not going to either read or perhaps not be told. Yeah. And when you find them, it just becomes sore. And then if something happens or an aircraft goes tech, which is always going to happen so at some point you're going to start looking at your country thinking, is this really what I want? And did I really sign up for this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, so what happens with the charter world now, I think it's in a better place because it's been spoken of better, which it should be, because the pandemic period has allowed the audience to be re-educated into what's actually available in the marketplace. And that's you know, a good
0: It's really funny. So when I started with FlexJet, you know, the, the three and a half years I was with FlexJet back in the the, the late 90s, Early OOS, the mantra was, and NetJets was the same. We don't negotiate. Our terms are our terms. Okay, that's 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 great. Except the challenge, the, the problem is, your buyer, your your customers are really freaking smart, and they'll figure out a way. You know, if you think you're just going to keep shoving that we don't negotiate, they're going to figure out alternative ways. And, yeah, you know, I can't tell you how many times I walked into a client's office and I was like, no, we don't negotiate. And he's like, well, then this is what I'm going to do. And, and you're not included. And like, oh, well, mm-hmm. wait a minute. Yeah, well, maybe if we could do that, would you? Yeah. Then all of a sudden now the we don't negotiate became a little bit more of a, well, we'll think about it. You yeah. Know, well, maybe we need to focus a little bit more on the customer's needs. Right. Yeah. Here we are now, 20 years later, 27 years later. Like you said, you know, customers are smart. They're using a combination of fractional, they're using jet cards. They're using charter. They they've got preferred charter providers. Do you see it going that? Is is, is that the direction? Are we are we have we reached a
1: new plateau? Is that where we're at? Well, I think because there's so much to be offered out there, and to your point, the customer is so much more intelligent than we may expect on the way in, but they may have other solutions in place that you won't find out about until you either get close to them through relationship building or you, you luckily you know, trip over the fact that they also got X, Y, and Z other contracts. In a lot of those cases, and there are companies that offer this, You know, we offer ourselves in a, in a program called the Insight Card. They may, have, they may own an aircraft, they may own a fleet of aircraft, or they might have a syndicate. They might have all of those things. They might have fractions for supplemental lift. They might have a jet card because it just made sense, and they might just charter. But they don't often know those contracts inside out. They don't know when they should do it. And sometimes when they press go because they want to fly that aircraft again, it might be the wrong time to press go on those contracts for various reasons. It might be a peak period of time. It might be extra cost versus another program they have in place. And a lot of the things that work, we found to the client's benefit is being able to educate them. And our program, for example, will go in and say, Mr. Pickham, by the way, I know you want to fly next week on these trips. Rather than just burn X's hours, we've looked at all your contracts. And here's also what's available in the charter market. Here's the best option. I mean, you pick, and it might not be the most expensive or the cheapest, but here's the best option, and here's why. And I think clients really appreciate that also because you're truly saying, from an independent angle, here's you know, here's how you should be flying it. Because the client might think, actually, you know what? I don't need this piece anymore. It's not doing me any good, or I need more of that piece. They're just not quite aware because it's not really the world.
0: Yeah. No. and Look, it, and it comes down to the clients, or you know, I think what the thing that's more important to them is. Is less about price and more about I want to know who the person I'm talking to is going to take care of me. Has got my best interests in mind.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you. You know, it's it's um just you know, from you know, from starting out with NetJets, yes, of course it was a premium price program that you were doing, uh, whether you were selling fractions in a lease and acquisition or just the actual private jet card in Europe. Regardless of what the industry said about price, it was never the first point of conversation when you sat with a prospect. Mm-hmm. Of course, it came around to it, and it certainly wasn't the deciding factor. Um, it, it's so much more than that. It's, it's so much more of a touchy-feely trust relationship thing when a client wants to commit to a program. And some of those busy you, – you'll know this, but some of those biggest and busiest clients you'll have may first come in on a car. They may mm-hmm. first just want to try and buy you know, the typical 25 hours. And from there, in a few years' time, they become one of your largest fractions. But that doesn't happen unless they've got your trust, and a lot of it you know, just comes around to relationship.
0: Yeah. Look, I'm I'm a firm believer. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. You know, there's a lot of wealthy people in the world. I mean, I just get down to my backyard and I look at Wrightsville beach and I see all the, the multimillion dollar yachts out there and the multimillion dollar homes. I'm like, here's a lot of money in this world. And it's like, if you got a net worth of $10 million or more, you should have a jet card. quite frankly. I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's a quarter million bucks for whatever, you know, but the opportunities to go and get away from the airlines, maybe it's just a couple of trips with your family, yeah, a year. Maybe it's a couple of business trips. Maybe it's just a backup for the business trip that you need because American Airlines or Delta can't get you home for three days. Look at it. It's like you know, hey, look, you got a net worth of ten million bucks. Go, go buy a card. Are you are you seeing new Are you seeing new entrants come into the market who are starting to think that way?
1: Um, yeah, I think you know. The audience that was built directly from the pandemic period, whereas, you know, to your point, there's a huge proportion of wealth out there that just gets flying private, just doesn't do it. They don't warrant it. They just don't, it doesn't seem to work for them. And they quickly realized to the pandemic period, well, on behalf of safety and timing and guarantee of an aircraft and fly this trip, you know what, I'm going to do it. Um, and then, you know, like I always joke with prospects on the way, and I always say, listen, this is probably one of the last remaining things that's allowed in this world to be addictive. Uh, Because once you start, you kind of fraction off some of what you're going to do in your world of flying and give it to this private and this commercial will somehow mold into most of your flying being private because it just becomes addictive. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, some of the independent campaigns that have done the the research on this, that audience is still there in a big proportion. Mm -hmm. And if if the number is 10, there's probably 70% of that 10 still there. So if the number is a thousand and more, that's relevant. So there's a lot of newcomers that have come. I just need the additional lift. Just want the guarantee. Just want that sitting in the back garden. Should they need ten hours a year, or twenty-five, or more, and then it's just like anything. If you're as good as you say you are, they'll just progress and they'll think, you know what, let's just do this more. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been great for the industry because it's a new audience stemmed up from savvy pandemic period.
0: Yeah, but I hate the. But I hate. You know, I, I always hated the term. We're going to democratize aviation. Come on, yeah, that's like yeah. saying you're going to make a low-calorie pizza out of zucchini. Nobody wants it. It's gross. Yeah, I can't change fuel prices. I can't change pilot salaries. I can't change, you know, what it costs to own an airplane. So, you know, there, there's, there's some fixed costs in airplanes that just can't be. Yeah, you're right.
1: There, there are many true, real costs that the customer should never have to know about, but they matter. And if they, if the question is around, well, how does it cost? How does it all come together? You then get to talk about the real things, those fixed costs, which are justified cruise salaries, their FBOs, their properties where aircraft need to be kept, their hangars, you know, their slot times at some of the most expensive airports. Now, the things that are real, if you're going to offer guaranteed service through and throughout with guaranteed rates and availability, there's a cost involved in that. Yep. And our clients are so smart and so well um, experienced in other avenues in this world, they get it. They just want to be told it, not surprised.
0: What's the most thing that's important to them? Is it? Yeah. Cost, safety, what are they looking at when they're calling you? Cost, safety, convenience,
1: hey, I just want Vince to take care of me, and he's the guy? Yeah, I think it's a convenience, you know, closely in hand with safety. Um, And then it's the experience. It's the, wow, this is what I'm going to fly on. You know, know, let's not forget that. Unless the guy and girls have flown on every single aircraft type that we can remember, which isn't the case, they're going to get really impressed. And that's the, you know, part of the real attraction. Um, and then, of course, price comes in. But if price comes into the equation, you're able to say, "Well, this is a completely transparent program. You know, if you walk off an aircraft for whatever reason, you're not happy. You call me. And you can have access to your, you know, your full balance of funds. You know, we're not going to tell you every single period of time there's now a price side for these following reasons. So, if you can offer the program on a smaller, you know, number of hours per year, um, if you can make this transparent, as simple, and an easy commitment, that's the big attraction." Because you'll win their trust by doing that, you'll win their trust in the go.
0: a lot of broke yeah, you know, a lot of brokers out there though. Know, what's you know what's different you know, what you know what's differentiating themselves? Are they promising you know they promise in fleets, they promise in you know yeah it, it's it's ultimately a you know a, a customer service world. I mean are the customers going to operators are they going to the people they trust?
1: I think the main flow of business is still going to the people they trust. Um, and if that's somebody that they trust that works in a big corporate entity that's now gone into working sole trader as a broker, they'll follow that broker. A lot of the allegiance the clients will have with the provider is actually with the individuals, in most cases, with the individuals. And if that individual leads to a justifiable new entity, mm-hmm. most of the clients will go with that person. Um, and that's just the normal par for the course. What about cabin size?
0: There's a big, yeah, look at what's, what's in demand right now.
1: Yeah, you know, this is. What's in demand that I know now living here in the States for a little over six years and loving it, there's state by state, it varies. You know, there are that clientele that you know is preferred for midsize up and down the East Coast. And there's super midsize, you want to go East Coast, West Coast. And there's a lot of business you might have in Texas as a state that just needs light jet. But then the the beautiful business is the bigger stuff because it's just exciting. You know, the transatlantic trips and further, you know, true ultra, ultra long range flights and aircraft types are are the real surprise, because when clients fly for the first time on a, you know, G650 or something in that cabin category, it's just, it's a mind blower if they've always been used to light mid-size and super mid-size. But I think where the traffic is, there's a threshold of, of clientele where the audience is in around mid-size and super mid-size here in the US, but there's a big part of that business that's light jet. And then there's a group, which is mainly corporates that need a, a long haul lift, the transatlantic trips.
0: Who's buying it? I mean, is it corporations? Is it family offices? Is it the end user in themselves?
1: Yeah, it's a combination um, because, you know, with the corporate entities that have their own fleet of aircraft, they need supplemental lift. They'll always need additional lift, whether it's crew downtime, whether the aircraft's in maintenance, whether it just doesn't suit to move their aircraft for these trips Mm -hmm. and it's better to charter. That's where the attraction is. It's individuals because they just want to do it. Um, It can be, different industries like sports is a big thing, you know, not just the golfers, every other type of sport where people just want to get around on their own time uh, in their own privacy. So it's a real mixture.
0: So let's talk about, let's, let's switch, switch gears a little bit. Jet suite was selling cards and, you know, that didn't end too good. You know, Delta just pumped a bunch of money in and saved wheels up. You've obviously got, you know, FlexJet, you know, or, and the net jets. You've got VistaJet out there. There's some rumblings around VistaJet. Where should the buyers have their loyalty? Which should they be looking out for?
1: I think having security in the program that they're in, insofar as they're safe with their funds, first off, if they're heavily committed, knowing that their funds are safe, whether that means an escrow account or an independent account, but knowing that they've got access to their funds, um, and if there's limitations around that, being clearly explained what those limitations are. I think that's probably foremost if it's individuals or corporates, that's going to be foremost concern. But I think again, being being kept up to date with any movement in the industry is vital. You don't want a client telling you that I've just read it on so and so's site or picked it up in the news, they have to be kept informed. And that, I think that's a crucial part of holding on to that business is by informing the client of what's moving in our industry.
0: Where are you seeing the opportunities? I mean, we just talked a little bit about some of the you know some of the the, the roadblocks. Where do you see the
1: opportunities out there? We see, um, without trying to steal the stage, but we see, we have a program called the Freedom Program, which which really just fascinated me when Brian explained what the Freedom Program is. And it's simply buying an aircraft for a client and operating, running that aircraft without the client having to commit to the capital outlay. And therefore it doesn't sit in the balance sheet, so it simplifies all the reporting, IRS included. We see a big opening now and success in the fact that everything's becoming more expensive with interest rates going the wrong way. Mm-hmm. If we can go to clients that own a fleet of aircraft, for example, and say, what if we were to buy the entire fleet from you, but still give it back on a guaranteed basis? We'll keep it at your closest hangar. We'll keep the same crew or add it to the crew or whatever you need to do. Keep the same flight department. We'll just pull it off your books and give you the capital back to reinvest and do things differently. I think there's a big attraction there um, because although it's similar to release, it's very different because it doesn't sit in your books. It's a corporate jet as a service. Um, so there's a big, there's a big um, new avenue there. That of course is a slow you know cycle period to sell that um but I think that's a new avenue for the marketplace
0: well yeah I mean yeah that's the interesting thing is I, and and the the crazy thing is, is I was talking to somebody and they said yeah you know, now banks are th- starting to think about mark to market on aircraft values you know are buyers and sellers aligned in their uh you know in their prices you know are the are the sellers you know the sellers who may have bought a little bit in an overheated Market? Are they re- ready to accept the fact that their aircraft may not be as worth, much, worth as much as they were two years ago? And then you got buyers out there who are like, you know, I'm just looking for a deal. Those deals may be yeah, still hard to come by. Yeah, I agree. It's an interesting it's an interesting time in aviation.
1: Yeah. You know, from our, from our sister company, the Mente Group, um, we've traded in, I think, a little over $11 billion of aircraft transactions. And we get great reports from the guys who do some of our appraisals on the market. And you see what's what's in the marketplace, what's for sale. And you look at something incredible like a G550. Um, I don't think there's ever been as many G550s on the market that there is right now. But then when you, if you're with a client, you know, holding hands to buy an aircraft for them, and put them into a program or manage it for them or put it into our freedom program, there are so many of those aircraft, not picking on the G550, but that are on the market that are just either... Trying to see what the aircraft's worth or just asking for so way out of scale what the aircraft is truly worth, mm-hmm. that it makes that period of education that bit longer because you're not getting accurate pricing. And I think that's going to be part of the process in selling the aircraft is the education piece of what's out there, why is it priced like that, and is that pricing right? And just to find out why it's right and why it's wrong. Um, I think that's where we are on the aircraft valuation side at the moment.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a logjam. I think is you know it's it's just a little bit of logjam. A couple of years ago, you couldn't find a G five G five. You couldn't sell your mother to get a G five fifty. Yeah, today there's a bunch on the market. Um, yeah, you know, Challenger 300s are starting to come available too. I mean, it's it's uh, it's an interesting it's an interesting you know dynamic when you see buyers and sellers starting to you know, play, and you wonder what clears the logjam out from there. Yeah, it's it's it's
1: going to be an education piece for a buyer or a seller is going to understand if it's priced wrong, why it's priced wrong, and that that's that fine line of how you you know how you explain that.
0: So let's talk a little bit about go back you know, to COVID. I mean, obviously, COVID drove charter demand off off the charts, and yeah, you know, talking to people like I can't get an airplane any, I can't get an airplane. I'm calling all the brokers. Yeah, 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 and it's really hard and a lot of people came into the industry and they tested it out and now a lot of them are like yeah it was cool but i'm going back to the airlines or whatever was was that sugar high of demand good for business aviation was it you know or was it a negative how has it affected the industry
1: moving forward i think it was only a good thing because it a stimulated the industry you know we had a huge boost obviously from demand but it also made us become all of us under a spotlight, where are we going about it the right way? Are we meeting all the right protocols we should abide by to run whatever, you know, whether it's a 135, whatever it might be, whatever we're operating under, are we doing it correctly? And that was a big spotlight. And I think part of that reason why a lot of people were pushing out their guaranteed time from availability of, let's say, 12 hours or less to 24 to 48 to 72, Mm -hmm. was mainly to meet that, to make sure they were ticking all the correct boxes internally to abide by whatever certificate they're operating under. So I think that was key, which just simply meant, I think the industry having to sharpen its pencil to make sure they they weren't cutting any corners. That meant perhaps it handicapped some operators and put some out of business. But I think to the credit of the industry, it only made us better. And it's definitely made us busier. And it's more spoken of, you know, as a solution now, it's more spoken of to fly privately. There's a reason for it in a lot of cases.
0: Along the same lines, lots of challenges with pilots, Lots of challenges with mechanics, lots of challenges getting, you know, MRO, you know, space in the, in the maintenance hangars. Is the pressure, the pressure starting to come off the industry a little bit or balance itself out? Or are we going to stay, you know, are we going to stay a little pressured from that standpoint?
1: I think there's still a little bit of pressure on that. Definitely. Particularly with crew um, because being realistic, how long does it take to train a pilot and how long, how many hours does that pilot need to fly? And how many hours are you comfortable with that pilot having flown on that particular aircraft type? So that's just, you know, there's no money that can buy that. That's a time waiting factor. With regards to maintenance, MROs, and aircraft being delivered, that's another factor. But I think the key hurdle right now is not enough crew. Um and qualifying, what is the right crew? And how do we go about getting enough of those people? And unfortunately, that's just going to be a time thing.
0: What are what are clients asking you when they're when they're talking, hey Vince, I want to, I want to charter a jet or I want to buy a car. Are they asking you about crews? Are they asking you about types? Are they, you know, what are they afraid of? A lot of 20-year-old airplanes out there. You know, it's no big deal. I get on a 20-year-old airplane all the time, but a lot of people won't.
1: You'd be surprised, you know, the number of conversations I've had where that doesn't come up. And if you bring it up, which I will always, in most cases, do because it just makes sense to bring up age of aircraft. um, How many hours the individual pilots have flown on what aircraft type? whether they're, you know, second in command or the pilot, sorry, captain pilot. I'll I'll raise it to them because it gives them assurance of who it is they're dealing with. And I'll say that the limitation of what's been set to, you know, within the U.S. for Wyvern and Argus rating, it's X. Well, we'll double that and triple that in some cases. And that gives the end users, the people that are flying on board that aircraft, a lot of assurance of questions they weren't thinking of asking. So I think that should be brought up because it shouldn't be hidden. Um, Because, you know, there's a lot of praise that should be given to those pilots, to the crew. To the how the aircraft's been maintained to how it's been insured how it's been looked after and once those are brought up again you just give a lot of comfort to the clients to the end user
0: is it like a checklist are they asking for hey who's who who who's the crew what's their what's their background tell me about the <laughs> airplane or is it or, or are they taking or, or I mean I know there's always clients out there that, that are going to ask every question I'm just going to get on I'm, I'm gonna to get on the jet like it's American Airlines and we're we're, we're okay with that too
1: yeah, I think, you know, by doing that, you actually create a checklist for yourself to that prospect of that client you've just you know taken on board. But there's nothing wrong with that. Th- those are questions that should be asked because they're going to be asked at some point. You know, they'll go to come off an aircraft and just call me and say, Vince, by the way, who was so-and-so on the aircraft? Where were they before? It'll just happen in conversation. So I think there are pieces that should be brought up and not hidden. Um, and it's not so much a selling point. It's more of an education point to give awareness of who they're dealing with. Who's the, who's your typical
0: client now? I mean, is it, you know, it, it used to be, you know, kind of the gray hairs, you know, now it's the wealthier gray hairs a little bit. Now I, I hear it's a younger crowd. It's a little, is it a little bit of everybody? I mean, who's 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 buying?
1: Yeah, it's a little bit of everybody. Um, I think, you know, to say, to pick an age group, there's a, more than I've experienced before, there's a lot of clients that are, in, you know, in their 40s that that want to do it for time saving for corporate reasons to go to and from meetings, but also they want to use it for their own personal reasons, you know, to go to a game with friends or take their family away. So I think that again, because the mark has been spoken of more, particularly here in the US, um, has just pricked their ears to think, actually, I'm going to do this rather than wait. So I think it's it's a it's a real mix of what the generation ages that's now our audience.
0: You seeing a younger crowd coming in? I mean, the tech crowd or what? uh
1: and um, not in a big flux. Uh, you, you know, you'll see with regards to up charter. You know that we do and that's upgraded a lot. You know, with our own managed fleet and just using our partner providers fleet, we will get inquiries from younger generations, absolutely. But it's normally they just want to fly. They just want to do this odd hop. They're not. Maybe it's because they're just not thinking that way yet. They're not looking at a program. They just want to fly charter.
0: Do you ever see the charter by, yeah, you, know, you got JSX out there right now, you know, sort of, you know, part 135 from an FBO. I got no problem with it. I think that those guys are doing, you know, I think, I think they're, they're safe. I think they're unique. I don't know why American and Delta are all upset about them. Um but on the flip side I don't see I can't remember who the companies were that were trying to sell Falcon you know Falcon 900s by the seat either I don't you yeah. know mm. is the is the private aviation by the seat really ever going to come back or is it going to hit its stride
1: do you want it to you know even if whether I wanted it or not even if I had a business plan to do it I just don't see it happening because I, unless you can really create a brand new educated audience that just want to fly by the seat because the benefit of absolutely walking to an FBO and, you know, boarding an aircraft 15, 20 minutes later and taxiing down the runway and flying is massive. It's a real, you know, giggle. Getting on board, having flown private before, and now sharing a cabin and sharing seats, you know, that's not fun. That's not going to feel great. If you've got to go to a meeting, you know, we carry who's around you. That's different. But I don't think there's enough of that to warrant a business trade successful. So I'll be, you know, kind of the jury. For me, the jury's out on that. I think it's a... It sounds so great on paper, but in actual fact, to do it, it's that's really creating a unique, yeah, by seat.
0: Well, that's a lot of what you know, American Airlines used to fly Fokers, you know, Fokker One Hundred. So it was all first class seating from L.A. to to Dallas, and it was never that profitable. I mean, um, yeah, the JSX thing, I, you know, I, I get it. We'll see where it all comes out, but I mean, that's ultimately what I think comes out to. It's such a unique. Business plan. When you talk about, hey, i yeah you know, I don't want to get on a Falcon 900 with seven strangers. I'm gonna get on by myself. If I'm gonna get on, it, I'll pay for it.
1: Yeah, I think you know, you're right. I think if you're flying East Coast West Coast, there's ten people on board and you don't know eight of them. You know, that six plus hour flight is gonna feel like sixty hours. Just not yeah. gonna be. Now, if you're flying, you know, shuttle service. You know, and you've said JSX. Absolutely. If if you're a a golf resort and you know you've got the same clients come down from Point X to your golf resort mm-hmm. then why not have a shuttle service and I bet you everybody on board will love it but that's oh, yeah. a that's a great model uh, and kind of wrap that all up is yeah it's,
0: you got the guys that fly 737 from Silicon Valley out to Hawaii you know kind of it's like that club yeah yeah that's a lot of fun hey look we're all yeah you know, we're all going to the same place we're in the same neighborhood whatever it's fun to me to see how many yeah, business plans. How did, now? How did you get into? The, I mean, you you're were, you're were in the motorsports industry. What what got you transitioned and and ultimately really successful?
1: I mean? genuinely tripped over this um, net yet. So I met at the time a lady that was running their HR departments, um, Lindsay. I met living. I lived in London for a little over twenty years. I was in Bahrain a lot with Aston Martin Racing. They had the DBR9. Uh, they were developing the the gearbox, so it wasn't ready yet. They had a team running the car. And I was potentially just selling the car to privateer teams, the same spec car. But I was away a lot. And I came back and met this lady from Netjets Europe. And we were just chit-chatting one evening. She said, um, I, "She said, you know, how's it all going? I said, well, it sounds great. And it looks great on my CV and stuff. But I'm getting bored. I'm, I'm away an awful lot. And I didn't want to be that way that often. So she then said to me uh, in 2004, had I heard of Netjets?" And of course, I said yes, which I hadn't because it just wasn't my world. Um, and that they owned, I think at the time, they said over 500 private jets. And I thought to myself, well, that can't be true. Um, and it's owned by the richest man in the world, Warren Buffett. And I thought to myself, well, that definitely can't be true, which I said in my head, of course, I said, to her, oh, yeah, of course, I knew. So when I got home, I tap tap on Google at the time and realized, oh, my God, this is for real. This is a real thing. And she sent me up a meeting with the guy who's still my dear friend, Mark Byer. And we just got on really well. I met in their offices in Sloan Street at the time. Um, he talked about the industry, talked about what it's like. And it just, I felt straight away just an attraction to the industry, to the exposure of your clientele, you know, not to show off who they were, because it's all confidential, but to get to meet those types of clients, to have success with them, to provide a service like private jets was such an attraction for me. And then when I was given Ireland, being the Irish guy, was a real buzz, it was a real magnet. Um, and that's, that was it from there on in. I was, and still am to this day. I'm as buzzed today as I was when I first got noticed of the job with NetJets in Thailand in 2004.
0: Yeah, I always found it was funny. You know, it's it, like when I was selling out in LA. You know, people had you know ten people waiting for him, and a client would be like, "You're the jet guy. Yeah. Come on in, <laughs> head, head in the line." But he was always enamored with you know the the you know the jet guy. It was incredibly fun, and the relationships I built with the clients was was pretty amazing. I agree.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'll never take that for granted. Some of the people you meet, the avenues you go down, the places you end up. Um, to meet clients, to be with clients, is just a—it's—it's it's one to be really cherished, and I've, I've adored it from the start.
0: How do you see the industry moving forward from here? Are you bullish? Yeah, you, you cautious? You're bullish. You bullish? Know, yeah, what are you thinking about? So goes, yeah, you know, so goes the economy. So goes private aviation, and, and yeah, everybody you know, is, is keep. You know, there's some some doom and gloom in the air, but um, yeah. I'm not so sure that's the case. What do you? What are you? What are you saying?
1: I, you know, I'm. You've said the word bullish. I not naively, but I always think bullish about it because I think if you're as good as you say you are, then you know where the you can still find the audience. So, and you've said before on other things that you know this rotates, it swings. This world yeah. that we're in, private jet world swings, similar to property. Um, you've just got to be ready to stay along for the ride and have your clients that are with you. Um, of course you may lose some along the way, but it's again, it's all it's all around a relationship. So I would be confident going forward, no matter what may happen. Um, That we can find that new audience
0: and continue to build. Yeah, look from a sales standpoint, I I love I love the way you're you're thinking about it. It's it's like you you always could tell the Johnny Come Latelys because they're praying that the good times always roll. You know, the established players who are really good are like, hey, look, I'll flex. You know, when the good times when the good times stop rolling, I still have my clients and I still know who they are, and I still know how to attract them. That's ultimately how you figure out who's wheat and who's chaff.
1: Right, I agree with you. It's
0: you know where there's chaos, there's opportunity. And quite frankly, you know, sometimes I just want to see my weak competition get flushed out because they can't hang. They they create a lot of noise out there. So yeah. So, so the Four Corners Freedom Program, it's pretty unique. You guys, are, it's it's aircraft as a service.
1: Right. It's corporate you know, jet as a service.
0: Corporate jet as a service, and I know you're seeing a lot of interest. Yeah. In that concept.
1: Yeah, and you know, the, the the attraction to the, hence the word freedom, the attraction to the program is that it's so transparent that it allows to have a conversation with, you know, a Craig Pickin is thinking about buying an aircraft. Um, Craig Picking that owns a fleet of aircraft that wish they didn't at the moment, would rather have them off their balance sheet and let us own them, give them back, including the crew. Mm-hmm. So I think how the freedom program is talked about and explained to the audience is vital because it is as simple as the term says, freedom. You know, if there are, you know, some of the Again, it being a long cycle, some of them are short, but when an entity knows that freedom can come in, replace their entire fleet, allow them the capital back to reinvest or do whatever they wish with their own capital, and yet still keep tabs on their aircraft, in other words, mm-hmm. still have the aircraft at their closest hangar, based on a guaranteed availability, mm-hmm. we can then say, and listen, over a five-year period of the contract, what if we charter the aircraft and absorb some of your costs per year? Some clients will go, no, we don't need to. Some will go, well, actually, we only fly 200 hours a year, so... Can we look at maybe charging 100 hours a year? That allows a tool for success to the client. And for us, it gives us an inventory, another aircraft. And if we bought a fleet of aircraft from Craig Picken, for example, and after three years or four years in the country, you say, actually, what if I wanted to buy the aircraft back? We don't have a conversation. We go, no, no, no. We say, let's have a conversation. Let's do it. So it's a really, it's, it's always in the client's best interest. But I think mm-hmm. it's a program where it's a, it's a refresher because it's something truly new.
0: Yeah, it was a unique concept when Brian rolled it out. I'm glad to see it's getting some traction. I mean, especially today where the political environment is such that, you know, maybe I don't want, you know, maybe I don't want my my tail number tracked. Or, you know, I don't want to land in Europe in front of, you know, 50 protesters who are taking pictures of the airplane and tracking it back to me. I think there's a lot of reasons to go a different. You know, there's a lot of reasons now companies have to, to go that route.
1: Yeah, optics, you know, plays a big, and I hadn't forgotten living in London for so long and being from Ireland, but optics plays a big piece in this world of of general aviation. And when I was at eBase and everything happened and people were strapping themselves to aircraft and locking themselves to Gulfstream, I quickly realised, again, as a reminder, how how optics plays a big piece in the European world because it's just so much smaller geographically. Um, And, you know, we got a lot of inquiries directly from eBase just because of that scenario. So that, that matters. You know, if we talked about this 15 years ago, it would be a topic of conversation, but it wouldn't be that vital. Now it's a vital piece. The optics plays a big vital piece. Freedom program really shines for these guys.
0: Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. So good. How do folks get a hold of you, Vince?
1: Well, you know, naturally through our website, fourcornersaviation.com. Um, my email is vkavanagh at fourcornersaviation.com or you and I on this But my number is 954-955-4582.
0: We'll get it out there. So Vince Cavanaugh, thanks for coming on. Great to see you, Craig. Thank you again. Awesome. Talk soon. I hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Aerospace Executive Podcast. You can reach out to me directly, Craig, at NorthStarESG.com, or check us out at www.NorthStarESG.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or on YouTube. Just do a search for Aerospace Executive Podcast. Thanks again, I'm Craig Pick.